kettlebell dranger. The spoils become clear as the time for battle draws nearer. Our sponsors this year will be Barefoot Athletics, who's giving away six $100 gift cards. Pro Kettlebell, who's giving away a $300 gift card, a $200 gift card, and a set of magnetic chip weights. Kettlebell Kings, who's giving away a $150 gift card. Living.fit, giving away four $50 gift cards. Sorensen Strong, giving away a pair of 1.5 pound Indian clubs with the event logo engraved. CK Maceworks is giving away two custom plate loadable maces or clubs. Bellevator is giving away two 50% off discount codes for a custom lifting belt. In addition, there will be a $500 cash prize for the best lifters in the event. Sign up today at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi Wright, founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. Before we jump into the episode, I want to remind you that registration is open for the second annual Twin Cities Kettlebell Open here on October 22nd, hosted by our friends at the Athlete Lab in Little Canada, Minnesota. Just like we did last year, we will include an option for video submissions for participants who are unable to make the trip in person, and you'll be eligible for all of the same prizes as our in-person competitors. Just go to our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com for details. This week, my guest is Alex Salkin. And in fact, this is going to be a two-part episode because Alex and I uh, talked for over two hours, had a great conversation. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with him. He is a strong first level two coach as well as an original strength coach. Um, And we got into a whole bunch of different things talking about strength and calisthenics and bodyweight movement and his background. Um, So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. And as always, if you do, please do me a favor and give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast. Um, Share an episode with a friend. And of course, if you are interested in signing up for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open, do that. I would love to see your set. I would love to see you here in the Twin Cities if you can make it. Otherwise, um, go ahead and submit a video submission. And last but not least, if you want help reaching your goals without wasting time, please fill out the coaching interest form linked in the episode notes. I help athletes of all levels using my integrated coaching approach. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's step onto the platform with Alex Selkin. All right, welcome into this week's episode of the Platform Podcast. My guest this week is Alex Salkin. He is a SFG level two. That's strong first for those of you that don't know the uh, that don't know the abbreviations. That's strong first kettlebell instructor, as well as a what is it? An original strength certified coach. So we're going to get into that. And uh, he told me that he also has, I'm not sure if this is a boxing nickname or some other, or some other type of nickname, they call him the Hebrew hammer. So Alex, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me coming on the platform podcast. Appreciate you being on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we got, we got to start with, we got to start with the the Hebrew hammer <laughs> is what, what is, what is going on there? How did, how did that come about? All right. Well, first of all, it should come as no surprise to anybody with a nickname like that, that I am Jewish. So uh, that part is uh, probably the obvious one, but then how I got it would the be weird if it, if that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, you know, the funny thing too, is I also speak very fluent Hebrew and I, I don't always lead like interactions with uh, like new people, you know, with my being Jewish, but um, I was at a wedding a couple of weeks, yeah, it was like a weekend, two weekends ago, something like that. And I was meeting a friend of a friend uh, who I was attending with. And for some reason, you know, the, the languages that I've, I've learned 
uh, came up and she mentioned that I speak Hebrew and the guy was just like, all of a sudden, very intently interested. And as it turns out, he was, he was Jewish as well. So he was like, but he didn't want to ask, are you Jewish? Yeah. Which is like, which is not a bad question to ask. Perfectly fine question. But he, he was like, so why do you know Hebrew? Which is like the roundabout way of, <laughs> the, of yeah. asking. <laughs> the roundabout way of asking. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. And so uh, at any rate, yeah. So there's that. But then uh, how I got the nickname is very funny because, you know, I am a big believer that you can't give yourself a nickname. Somebody else has to give it to you and it has to stick. You know, like it's not to say that nobody has successfully given themselves a nickname. <laughs> I happen to know of at least one person uh in the kettlebell world who who did that and i'm not going to mention any names uh but he did successfully give himself a nickname that really stuck but for me i had two different uh colleagues both of them were new yorkers uh oddly enough uh who called me the hebrew hammer independently of each other so one of them (laughs) is steve holliner who's now a master rkc and um uh, steve coach fury holland so if you if you look him up that will be his his nickname i feel like i should give him and i think i don't think he gave himself that nickname either i think in his case if i remember his story correctly was that he when he was working as a an engineer or a graphic designer or whatever he had his head shaved and his coworkers called him the bald fury and so the term fury just kind of stood stuck with him and so it you know kind of morphed into coach fury and then uh, another friend and colleague of mine, Ari Harris, also called me the Hebrew Hammer. Uh, again, independently. They, and Steve and Ari knew each other, but they called me this independently of one another. And uh, so I was like, well, you know what? I, I, I can't fight fate. I, I got to be the Hebrew Hammer from now on. <laughs> All right. I like it. I like it. That's, uh, <laughs> I agree with you. You can't give yourself a nickname. Um, I, I actually had the distinct pleasure when I was a sophomore in high school, I was playing varsity baseball and my brother was a senior. And so he made it a point to, uh, to make sure my, his friends hazed me a little bit. And one of the, one of the guys on the team took it, took it upon himself to, to give me a different nickname every day. Um, <laughs> and they got, just got more, more and more ridiculous. I think the one that ended up sticking was Clunko, which they could never really <laughs> explain where or why that came from but uh yes that's that's a nickname that can really only happen when you're in like high school where it's just like you guys are goofy and you're like on a wavelength where you can say things that are goofy and like everybody gets it like nobody needs it's it's funny to those like six people and anybody else is like what the hell is wrong with these kids exactly it's really like the peak of inside jokes i think high school is so they they're like clunko and everyone's like oh my god that's so funny no one can describe why it's funny no one can describe (laughs) even like what the relevance is to you specifically, but everybody just kind of like, you know, as it is a group agrees that that is your nickname. And so now you yeah. are, you are a Jordan Clunko, right? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> but whatever, that's, that's fine. You you know, I, I always rolled with it because, you know, otherwise it's only going to get worse and worse if you, if you exactly. don't take it well. So it exactly. was, it was, it was good. It was good times. So, so I want to, I want to ask a little bit, I'm actually going to ask first about the original strength certification, because um, I know this is a kettlebell podcast and I asked you to come on because of your strong, your strong first background, but sure. now I'm really intrigued. I like learning new things and I hadn't heard of the original strength certification um, before, before now. So tell me a little bit about what original strength is and what it's about and how you incorporate it. Oh, my man, you are in for a treat because it is like perfect. If you like kettlebell training or strength training in general, original strength is awesome. What I really like about it is that it it complements just about everything. And so I'll, I'll explain briefly. So um, basically, original strength uh, is the brainchild of Tim Anderson and Jeff Newport. And Jeff Newport, as you know, is now a retired master kettlebell instructor and Back in the day, uh, I'm not going to give away their whole story because they've got some great material on you know how the whole system developed, but I will give it to you, as we would say in Hebrew, on one foot. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they uh, each of them were involved in a different movement system to try to improve mobility and their athleticism and stuff like that. And they kept finding that you know as they dive deeper into the system, things just got more complex. They got more complicated. It got a little bit more... Uh, difficult to keep up with. And so what they started to do was try to find a way to simplify everything. And they stumbled across, and this is, you know, like nothing like voodoo or woo-woo or anything like that, but it was something even within that system 
that talked about like, look, when all else fails, you can try doing this. And I think it was something as simple as like cross crawls, which is, you know, where you touch the opposite arm and leg. You see this is a very common movement in, in uh, warmups for sports and stuff like that. Um, due to the variety of different uh, benefits that it gives to the body. So uh, crossing the midline of your body or making contact with the opposite side of the body is great for getting the two hemispheres of the brain to work together a bit better and can improve your coordination and most importantly, help you to reset the nervous system in a manner of speaking. Now, I know some people like to be really pedantic and they're like, well, actually, you can't really press the reset <laughs> button. There's no reset button on your Is nervous it, system. I'm, I'm, of the, I'm of the mind of, do you want to be right or do you want to be useful? Right? Exactly. It's a useful, it's a useful analogy. So if, exactly. it, if, it helps pe- if it helps people understand, yes, it's, it's fine that muscles don't actually have brains. So there's no such thing as muscle memory. Correct. And it's fine that you can't actually press reset on, on the central nervous system, but you're talking about neurological priming of the, of the pathways. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing when people are like, oh, well, you know, you really can't have gluteal amnesia because, uh, you know, your glutes <laughs> are going to fall. We get it. Okay. But exactly. This is basically it. So in layman's terms, it's, it's uh, pressing reset is what they like to call it. And so basically what they did is they started looking into the human developmental sequence. And this is something that, you know, we've known about for a long time. It's not a huge mystery. Like if you you do, you've got kids, you watch them as they develop, you know, they start roll just, over. Then yeah, exactly. Like, oh, they're they're going to start crawling soon. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're laying on their back. They can just breathe and kind of move their head around. And eventually that builds up into the ability to roll over and then get up on all fours, rock back and forth, crawl. There are a lot of other, you know, uh, stages in between and beyond and that sort of a thing. So they started experimenting with these movements and they started to codify it into a system that was based off of certain principles. And one of the things I love about original strength is one of the things that I love about strong first is that it's a systems-based or it's a a principles-based system. Meaning um, as Pavel himself has said regarding the various iterations that strong first has gone through over the years, the tactics may have changed, but the principles have stayed the same. Meaning the way that they might uh, attempt to reach a given goal, they might use a different path or they might slightly alter what the path is going to be, but the principles are going to remain the same. And so original strength is very similar. So basically what it is, it is the organization of the human developmental sequence into a certain series of principles for your, that you can use for your own training that you can test in real time to see if your movement is getting better, staying the same, uh, maybe degrading. So this can give you ideas of what you need to do in your own training to help you to move better, uh, to feel better, to perform better. And um, I originally discovered it because Tim Anderson and his friend Mike McNiff wrote a book in like 2011 called Becoming Bulletproof. And uh, Jeff was a big fan of the book. And he posted, this is back in the old days of uh, the RKC, where they had an instructors only forum. and I don't know if you if you knew about if you know about all of this stuff, but it was basically like I would liken it to this. It's like going into like a busy lobby in like a you know a swanky hotel. That was like the the uh, the general um, the general forum where it's like everybody mingled there, everybody met for drinks and had discussions or whatever. And then there was like this private room. It was like a members only room, and that was where the instructors uh, would meet. And it was like a very different feel to it, and and it was a very special thing. I don't know that they really got that anybody's ever really been able to recreate it because forums have kind of gone away. Like there are still forums. Strong First still has a great forum, very active forum, but um, they- Still bodybuilding.com, bro. Bodybuilding.com, absolutely. That has, that by the way, that's a forum that if you want to like really like follow the white rabbit and see how deep the (laughs) rabbit hole goes, you go to bodybuilding.com and you check out the, or iron garm. I don't know if iron garm still is. All of of these things have now just been subsumed by Reddit. Reddit is basically just one meta forum. Like that's all Reddit really is. Right. Exactly. It's it's captured all of that same zeitgeist from back in the day of the old school forums, like bodybuilding.com and RKC. And then the RKC instructors room had its own. It was like the behind the velvet rope VIP area. Like, 
you're like, oh shit, I really want to get that. I really want to get that RKC one so I can get I can get into the instructor's room. I want to hear what they're talking about. Yeah, that's 100% the case because it really was. I mean, again, Reddit, it's like, you know, anybody can join. I don't think they have private forums. I think it's basically all public. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I'm Yeah, I'm, only, I'm barely on Reddit, but yeah. I've, I've gone on just a couple of times, um, but suffice it to say, yeah, that's a perfect example. Like Reddit is basically what uh, the internet was like pre- social media or before everything was on social media um that reddit has definitely preserved it so it was very much like that and and i remember jeff was like i promised my friend tim that i would mention this book uh you know i've really gotten a lot out of it and uh it's called becoming bulletproof it was like seven dollars nine dollars something like that so i was like okay I'll, i'll buy a copy and i was blown away because i was like you know what this stuff is like really simple makes perfect sense i need to test this out so i started doing it for myself started doing uh, the movements with some of my my students. And this was a real, like, based off of what Original Strength is now, where they've they've done, again, similar uh, in, in spirit to what Strong First has done, where it's like an inch wide and a mile deep. You know, like, they have a very narrow focus, which is the human developmental sequence. And then, of course, the areas to which it branches off. So there are um, things that, that dig into, like, athleticism, and how to use the original strength resets to improve your your strength training, like weightlifting, kettlebell lifting, calisthenics training, uh, you know, your your athletics. So there are a lot of coaches who use original strength where they're student athletes or or even non-student athletes. In fact, there's a, a one gent, Chip Morton, who was, I think, for, for something like 20 years, he was the SNC coach, uh, strength and conditioning coach. For those who are not familiar, again, I know we toss around all these these shortened terms. I got to make sure I mention them for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and so he was he was using original strength for people like Adam Pacman Jones, you know, to help him on the field and a variety of other people. Uh, so a, a real professional athletes, you know, uh, uh, meaning up and comers, people who are getting paid, you know, like their entire paycheck is coming from smashing into people on the field and, and stuff like that. So what's very cool about the system is, again, it's based around the basic human developmental sequence, which is deep diaphragmatic breathing, uh, head control, rolling, rocking, and gait pattern movements, such as you know crawling, marching, things like that. And lo and behold, I found, you know what, when I do this stuff, I feel pretty good. My clients feel pretty good. And then in 2012 in Chicago, Tim and Jeff held the second ever, back then it was still called Becoming Bulletproof. Second ever becoming bulletproof workshop, and I think it was like four or six hours, something like that. And um, I remember one of the things that they had us do because I was really interested in it. There was another system uh, bouncing around at the time that I had gone, oddly enough, also gone to Chicago for. I lived in Omaha, and so I had to take a a, a mega bus to Chicago for like on the cheap. Um, you know, 10, this is like 10 years ago, back in, uh, back in the day, young, young, starving personal trainer, trying, exactly. trying to make, trying to make his credentials and learn everything he can. Exactly. I, I like tried to go, I think that was the year that I went to like the most workshops I'd ever gone to. Cause I also went to the naked warrior with Pavel. This is what later became uh SFB or strong first body weight. Uh, yeah. And then there was original strength uh, again. Then it was called uh, uh, becoming bulletproof. Uh, and some other ones too. And yeah, exactly. It was like, I had to scrape my pennies together, do like, you know, by hook or by crook, I was going to go to all these workshops. And um, I remember one of the things that they had us do, we we really went in depth, like um, the stuff that is in the original Becoming Bulletproof, which I don't know if you could buy it anymore, but um, it was just kind of a basic overview. Like this is what rocking is, you know, here's rolling. And it didn't give you all the possible uh, iterations of it, and like how this pattern, uh, you know, will Uh, could be expressed in a variety of different ways. It was just like one example. And they gave tons of examples. Uh, And then they showed us how, like they introduced this concept, which is, you know, baseline uh, regressions and progressions. And, you know, it's not algorithmic in the sense that you're like, oh, well, if you can't do this, then you have to do this. It's like, test it out because sometimes you do something that's a progression for one person, but for you, it's actually right where you need to be, even if you're not like a super advanced athlete. So um, it's, uh, it's a, a name that kind of makes it a little bit easier to categorize what these movements are. Um, and in essence, we went through it, we would, uh, test and retest a movement and they still do this in the original strength workshops to this day, which I highly recommend, uh, that people attend They're uh, far and away. Some of the most fun workshops you can go to. And, um, 
at the end or toward the end, one of the things Jeff did is like, okay, well, there's a, we were in a, a gym setting and there was an indoor track, not like a, you know, a huge one, but it was, it was sizable enough. He's like, we're all going to leopard crawl around the track and uh, until you collapse basically. <laughs> and uh, so try to get like, at least just one lap. And as it turns out, that was more than enough to collapse most people. Yeah. I just barely made the full lap and like my quads were on fire. Uh, and I was like, man, you know what? This is amazing. I got to try this. You know, like I got to dive in more, like more deeply right now. I've been using it kind of on a surface level. I want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes. So I crawled like every day, somewhere between, let's say three to six minutes a day, some, something like that, you know, just like as a grand total and for like two months. And at this time I stopped squatting with the kettlebells. And I know this is total heresy and complete blasphemy, <laughs> but I did other kettlebell stuff, but I was like, okay, I'm going to put the front squats, you know, to the side for a little while. Uh, and mine weren't very good anyway. I was like, you know, I had the time I weighed maybe 155 pounds and I, I could front squat a pair of 24s or 53 pound kettlebells for like 10 reps total, which is like, you know, like a six-year-old girl with polio could probably do that. But, <laughs> but you know, my, my legs definitely weren't as, uh, weren't as strong at that time. But so what I did is two months, just daily crawling. And then one day I got a wild hair. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to test out my front squats. I haven't done them in a while. See how they're going to feel. So I went out to the garage, grabbed my kettlebells and no warm up or anything. Oh, I take that back. I think I did a very brief warm up. And then I did always 20 warm up, front. Kids. Yeah, exactly. Always want to warm up. Now, again, at this time, I was like 26, I think. So it's a little easier when you're 26 to just jump right in. And, and, uh, and again, no I also, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also, as, as you recall from my previous anecdote, I wasn't exactly lifting huge weights so like it was you know it, it wasn't like the um it wasn't like i was as liable to get hurt but yes i wouldn't i wouldn't even cross my mind to like not warm up if i were going to try to do a pr now because it's like you know you just eat may not get hurt but it may not just you may it's not hit the much PR less likely to happen yeah exactly <laughs> warm up that's but the other I, thing you learn when you get uh, get a little bit older you're like oh shit that workout was great what did i do different oh i warmed up for 15 i was responsible I... I did the the right thing i did the responsible thing I do what my but, coach told me i should do <laughs> exactly amazing how that works but what i was really amazed by was that i i knocked out 20 front squats with a pair of 24 kilo bells. And in fact, there's still to this day on YouTube, there's a video of me doing it. And I was still very skinny and very, you know, you could see I was like, again, I was very wafy and I'm still somewhat wafy ish, I would say, but not, not to the same degree. Um, so by then, you know, I was, before I was intrigued, uh, upon going to the workshop, I was, I was convinced. And then after this experiment, I was sold. I was like, I got to just keep digging and see how far this goes. And so, um, and at the time, it was only like workshops that they would offer. And it was just, you know, like, come learn and, you know, enjoy. And then uh, Tim and Jeff decided they were going to put together a certification. And, you know, it's a good thing they didn't ask me about it. Because if they'd asked me, I'd have been like, what do you need a certification for? You know, like, it's, uh, if you, this is why you can't share your vision with other people sometimes, because they may not completely understand. Um, but they, they were definitely onto something because they, it was, uh, January of 2014, they decided they were going to do the first ever uh, instructor's certification. And they handpicked uh, maybe 13 or 14 people uh, to attend. It was basically like, you don't have to pay to attend. This is the first one. And we, we basically want people we know who are familiar, very familiar with the system. And at this time, I was living in Israel. I had moved there um, in like April of 2013. I had no money. So I mean, like the previous discussion of like me taking a $50 mega bus to Chicago from Omaha and, you know, like having to withstand the drunk college kids going from <laughs> Des Moines to Chicago was, yeah. you know, like it was basically an adventure of its own <laughs> exactly. a whole podcast episode. Oh man. It, I, I tried to drown most of it. I, I, I only remember like bits and pieces of it now, but, but basically that, that image was still playing out at that time in terms of my financial abilities. I, I just, you know, I was working as a personal trainer living in Jerusalem, which as you might imagine, doesn't have a huge like interest in personal training, spiritual training, certain. They're very interested in that, but personal training, there's a somewhat less uh, large market. Whereas Tel Aviv, had I lived there, you know, it would have been probably all over the place, but, um, yeah, but I was like in Tel Aviv too. We've had, we've had some Israeli lifters on the podcast. Who in particular, anybody I might know. Uh, Solomon Rushkin. Yeah. He was on my podcast. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's uh, uh, I haven't talked to him in a while. I should reach back out to him. But yeah, he's a he's a GS guy. He's quite quite yeah. good, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. That's I I have very little to actually like compare it to because I've never done GS. I have nothing but respect for their like insane work capacity and pain tolerance. Um, that's what we're all about on this podcast is all it's almost all g it's almost all gs but i i try and i'm trying to branch out and make sure we we cover all the bases no certainly but no gs is great like i said i've got nothing but respect for those guys because i i've seen uh just the unbelievable workloads they put up I and mean, i've got I've, i don't know if you've ever if you've had him on and i'll be if you haven't you should uh levi marquardt he's uh yeah that dude i mean he's just all the live long day like you know he can just put a pair of 32s over his head like it's uh, like it's his job yeah he's uh, a strong lifter for sure oh yeah absolutely um but suffice it to say you know i i was like okay i'm gonna go to this original strength uh uh certification i'm gonna scrape together my shekels now it was no longer pennies now it was shekels and uh and i'm gonna make it happen so i went there and i was uh the only international uh, or quasi-international, because, you know, I grew up in Omaha, but ended up in, I went from Midwest to Mideast, basically, and then back to Midwest. But, um, but yeah, I was the the only international uh, individual there at the time. It was, I didn't realize just how impactful it was going to be, but now Original Strength has just become such a, a huge part of, of everything that I do with, you know, the programs that I write, you know, and uh, for my own online business, you know, when I, when I do, uh, online coaching or consulting with people, it makes up a big part of it. And what I find so great about it is that, you know, we, we really have a love for the, uh, for the basics. And I know that, uh, it's the same with GS, you know, like they really drill the basics down to perfection and what could be more basic than just the most essential baseline of all movements that, or the, we'll say the baseline for, all the movements that you'll later do, which is, you know, the human developmental sequence is the stuff that we start to do to get us to the point where we can walk and run and jump and, you know, do all sorts of other cool advanced stuff. Uh, the more I did it, the more I had my students do it, uh, the better things seemed to go. The more people wanted to put money in my pocket, you know, as I trained them, which was also a very nice side effect of helping them. And uh, yeah, the cooler everything else became. So that is, a, I know, a very non-short uh kind of it's introduction right. this, is a this is a long form podcast it's totally fine we we totally enjoy and embrace tangents and trips trips down side roads and and it's it's awesome that's so it 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 sounds it sounds like an excellent um it sounds like an excellent system and like you said when you were evaluating it it's like this makes logical sense to me right it's one yeah. of those things that when you think about it it's like okay this is simple but it also makes sense right we we start in certain movement patterns it's what progresses us to the point where we can do these more advanced things and because we can do more advanced things we kind of stop doing those basic movements but what happens anytime you stop doing something there are of course our major movers probably stay about the same you know our quads and glutes and everything can still can still locomote us very well but when you say hey get back down into a quadruped position and, and crawl around and crawl around this track instead of doing it bipedally suddenly all those little stabilizer muscles and and you know the ranges of motion and planes of motion that we don't touch regularly anymore suddenly get touched and you're like Oh, holy crap, everything hurts and I'm dying. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly the way I would describe it. And in fact, I think even before people do that, a lot of times they they kind of know that they're in for that feeling. Because I remember um, <clears throat> I was very fortunate when I was living in Israel that I had people who wanted to look out for me, even that they didn't know me very well. Like there was a guy who was he was a friend of a, a friend of mine. And he was like, I'm going to take you to some of the gyms and, you know, in Herzliya. Herzliya is like uh, a suburb of Tel Aviv. And I'm going to see if we can get you a job there. Now, I didn't have any Israeli credentials, so none of the gyms were actually interested in, in looking at me at all because they're like, you know, you have to kind of have like this uh, certification from from like Israel's Physical Culture Institute. Otherwise, gyms just won't hire you. But oh, I remember we went to this one place and this guy was intrigued and he was like, and he was a big marathon guy. Like, he, and he could run, evidently he could just run a marathon on a whim. Like somebody was telling me that he was managing this gym and, uh, it was like a kind of a lazy afternoon. He didn't have any work to do. He's like, I'm just going to run a marathon. So he, he got on a treadmill and he ran 26.2 miles. I mean, I guess I don't think he was like an, an exceptional marathon runner. Cause I think it, they said it took like five hours for him to do it, but nevertheless, five hours is a long time to, yeah, to do anything. He just did it on a whim. On a whim. He didn't, yeah, I didn't, you know, plan or prepare for it, but I told him, I was like, okay, well, uh, he's like, so what, you know, what do you have in mind to teach 
like what you know, kind of classes? And I was like, maybe I, I can show you. And I said, uh, get down on all fours. I'm going to have you crawl. It was something like that. You know, I was trying and he just like paused, like froze, you know, like a deer <laughs> in headlights. He's like, maybe you show me. And I was like, it struck me. I was like, you know, like, I think he's worried he's not going to be able to get back up or he's, you know, very stiff. You know, he didn't have like this, you know, he didn't move like a cat, you know, or anything like with this, you know, the sort of uh, smoothness that you would expect. He was somebody who had great work capacity, but not great movement capacity. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and then I started to realize this was something that a lot of people really needed. But number one, they didn't realize that they needed it. And uh, the second they did it, like you said, the, they're like, oh, my God, this is hard and I'm dying. And, you know, why is this so difficult? Uh <laughs> And that was that was basically the experience that I had training people for many years. They're like, why is this so difficult? But then wait, why can I touch my toes now? How come I can sit in the full squat? We didn't even stretch anything. And now I can do these things. So it's one of those things. You don't have to necessarily understand why it works, but you can see that it works. And then that gives them the motivation to want to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 on things like that, I just fall back on the, uh, a, a door that gets opened never has rusty hinges. Yep. <laughs> right? uh, you know, if you, if you, if you move, if you move the joint, you move the pattern, uh, you, you tend to be able to, to keep doing it. Exactly. The, the movement is the medicine. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that is awesome. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to, I'm going to look more into it. I, when you, when you described it, now I am familiar with it. I just, I knew it as, I knew it as becoming bulletproof. I didn't yeah, know yeah. the, re, I didn't know about the, re, I guess I'm aging myself a little bit, right? <laughs> like I didn't know, I didn't know about the rebrand. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't connect those two dots, but yeah, the, those primal movement patterns is, uh, I think incredibly, incredibly valuable for, for people, especially, oh, did you have any injuries that, that you were, that you were dealing with when you, or was it just. I've had a couple, I know several of the injuries that I've had, I've been fortunate because most of them were, most of them were like annoying injuries. You know, mm. I, I've had some where it's like actual physical damage. Um, for instance, my, uh, the labrum in my right shoulder is frayed. It's not torn evidently, but it's frayed. I don't know what that means is just put the PT or whoever did the MRI said i can tell you um, my, my my surgeon told me if you opened up everyone's shoulder they would all have frayed labrums and yeah. that, that's just normal you know in his in his words that's fairly normal wear and tear and he said honestly you could probably diagnose almost everyone with some degree of a torn labrum but your body works around it you know it's a matter of whether or not it's a significant enough tear to to require any intervention or if you can't function around it yeah. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting too, actually, is that, uh, and then I know this is a tangent show, so I feel comfortable <laughs> going on this tangent. Uh, Ido Portal, very well-known movement uh, maestro, I like to call him. He doesn't like to be called master, evidently. Um, he says, you know, no one's really a master. You always have to be a student. But um, he, there was a story from like in his early days, before he went on to be like Conor McGregor's movement coach, um, he was an interpretive dancer in Berlin, which as you would probably agree is a, a job pretty much nobody even thought existed. He was, that was his, his gig. He was an interpretive dancer in Berlin. And he, um, uh, if, if I recall correctly, he tore the labrum in one of his shoulders and it was pretty bad and he was able to rehab it without surgery. So like to your point, yeah, you can, you can get some damage on your body and provided that you learn how the body moves and you learn, you know, what are the things that you need to do in order to maybe protect a joint that you hadn't previously protected all that much, it can go a long way. And I, I've been pretty fortunate because, again, I've had some annoying, nagging kind of things that will pop up here and there, but nothing like super significant. Calling all kettlebell dringer. You honorable warriors and wielders of the steel, the time has come to raid. Join us and fight for honor, glory, and the spoils of battle. Sign up today for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on October 22nd, in person in Little Canada, Minnesota, or by video submission from anywhere in the world. Come, fight for your clan, or for glory all your own to be told in your saga. Claim your spoils and may your name ring out forever in the Hall of Champions. Sign up today at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. 
but I, one of the things that I definitely had was, um, and this was back in 2011, uh, I didn't have a dip station and I, again, I didn't have a lot of room for a dip station. So I decided I was going to make one, which was, I, I'm about as mechanically inclined as Stevie Wonder, probably, you know, like I, I don't, maybe he's very mechanically inclined. Maybe it's not fair for me. I have no idea. But um, so what I did is I had these old martial arts belts and some thin PVC pipe and some um, chains. And then I think maybe some D clamps, or I don't know what you call them. Like the, you know what I'm referring to? Like climbers use. It's like one of those oh, carabiners. Of carabiners. Yes. And I was like, I'm going to make like a makeshift set of rings and I'm going to do dips on them. And this was like, I mean, you think, you know, regular rings is pretty un unstable, pretty tough to do. And by the way, and it was wrapped around a door jam pull-up bar. So, I mean, this had like, <laughs> this had like bad idea written all this is, this is like something that's like intentionally done on YouTube now as a joke. Like the poor, poor, had I known poorly engineered DIY gym equipment. Yeah. Had I known that this could have catapulted me into YouTube stardom, I probably would have filmed it, but uh, I didn't have the presence of mind to turn the camera on. Well, nor was YouTube probably much of a thing back, back in, in this, this period of time. It wasn't as big, but I did, I, I did have a YouTube channel. That's the thing is like, I could have done it. it was, you know, done. I had a couple of videos. That was it. I, I missed but then my, you wouldn't be on my podcast. You'd be too big of a star. So, you know, things, you never know. Things never know. I, I don't, I don't turn down too many podcast offers and I, uh, but you could be right. I, I have this, this, this sense, like for instance, that I, uh, this is another somewhat side tangent, but, um, I remember well, you got to finish. How did you, how did the dips thing end up? You gotta I, well, I will, I will. I'm going to, I'm going to whip right back. Okay, we're since, we're talking about, since, since we're talking about could have been's, you know, like could have been YouTube star when I was in high school, actually everything all through high school, I, I was really scrawny, unathletic, weak, uncoordinated, just, you know, not not preternaturally good at anything except badminton. For some reason I could smoke people in badminton in gym. And I'm talking like two at a time. Like I sucked at everything else you know, basketball, football, all embarrassment, but then badminton, I crushed it. And I thought, and wow, it's a real shame. I'm yeah. good at a sport no one cares about. <laughs> I didn't realize it was an Olympic sport because I was seven, 16 at 17 at the time. Yeah, 16. Had I known, I mean, that's enough time to practice enough to become a world champ, maybe go to the Olympics, I, you know. So that that's an even bigger, you know. Uh, could have been. What could have been. Had, if, if Wikipedia had been around back then, I could have looked up badminton and seen that it was an Olympic <laughs> sport. But, um, Google was still around back then. so I, Yeah, Google know, was. That's true. I really don't, no, exactly. I don't really have an excuse. I was just lazy. But um, but yeah, basically, I set up this dip station. I decided I was going to try to do dips on it every once in a while. And I would do like one or two. And then one day I was like, I'm going to see how many I can do. Uh, the answer was four. But that turns out that that was one too many because what what ended up happening is I don't I to this day I don't know quite what it was but something in my upper back was it the rhomboid I think on my on my right side just like like seized up and I was like oh that doesn't feel good okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off and then I went to this chiropractor and he was great he's a ART certified which is like uh they do manual release yeah active type stuff. release like, therapy yeah exactly I love that I love that it is amazing stuff yeah. and and he was he, I, I still see him to this day he's he's excellent. Um, so I went to him, he got it like 50% gone. He's like, okay, come see me next week and we'll, we'll see if we can get the rest of it gone. I was like, great. So, um, just bad decision on my part. Um, I was hanging out with some friends and, uh, it was like Sunday. I would often go to their place and we'd have dinner on Sunday, very, uh, hospitable. And we would, then we would go to the basement and we would watch, you know, like some HBO show, like game of Thrones or boardwalk empire or something like that. And I don't remember what it was. But I was laying back and I was laying on a on a pillow on, on my upper back. And I don't know why this would have caused this to happen. But I got up after 45 minutes or an hour watching the show. And all of a sudden, it was like a gunshot wound in my upper back. Like the position I was in, I think it's like maybe my shoulder blades were just pulled together too much and my shoulders were sagging. I have no idea. But it, I was in like unbelievable pain. Like my right shoulder, I had to keep it elevated at all times so that I, it wouldn't feel like there was just, again, it was like, like a bullet wound and then somebody was taking like a screwdriver and just twisting it in there it i can't even i i have no clue why it should have hurt that much to this day it doesn't make any sense to me but it was pertaining to that so um one of the things that uh i one of the things that would happen it was like once a month for a couple of years um i would just 
I get like this knot in my upper back and I would have to take a week off until it would go away. And then I started doing the OS resets more regularly. And it was like, it, it could be gone in like a day rather than a week. And then it just stopped coming around at all. And now, I mean, it's been years since it's been uh, a regular thing. And I periodically, I can still kind of feel it a little bit like wanting to act up. But um, ever since I started doing the OS resets, I think there was something about just getting the body to move the way that it's supposed to move and get everything moving, you know, like in conjunction with everything else, specifically as it pertains to the gait pattern with stuff like crawling. I also found rocking and rolling was very helpful. Um, yeah, it made a huge difference. So that is one injury, well, kind of quasi-injury, because again, it was no real physical damage. It was just, you know. It was neurological and muscular, yeah, was, but but those can be, you know, I mean, back, spasm, back spasms keep professional athletes from competing. So they're not, they're not, not injuries, right? They, exactly. They're just, exactly. They're, they're not the same as when we think of like, oh, a torn ACL or, you know, spray yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. That was a big one for me. And I've had a few other ones too, you know, like my knees sometimes would get fatigued or would bug me or, or what have you. And then just loads and loads of crawling and, you know, knees felt great. Um, Cause I, I had also injured my knees at some point, both of them. Again, it was like, a, oh, it was overstretching the popliteus muscle uh, from being a little too zealous in my stretching regimen. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've just found that there have just been tons of things that have helped me to stay resilient uh, about uh, the, the OS resets. And then of course, you know, my kettlebell lifting improves, my calisthenics improves. Uh, so it's like, it's a no brainer to keep it in the, in the program, you know? Nice. So let's, Let's uh, we're going to go full Tarantino. Now, now we're going to go back to the beginning. You, you alluded right. to, you alluded to your, your being, uh, I think you said wayfish weak, yeah. unathletic, uncoordinated, all of these things. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Like coming up, you, you obviously weren't, you weren't, uh, you weren't super athletic coming up, but how did you, how did you then transition into a life as a strength coach? <laughs> well, so you know, I always liked physical activity as a kid because um, when I was young, you know, like, you know, you and I, I think we're probably roughly the same age. We're in the same, at the very, at the very least, we're the same generation. And, you know, we still had that playing outside thing, you know, like parents, like go play outside, you know, get out of the house. Come back until the, until the streetlights come on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so it was very much the same, the case with me. And uh, when I was young, we lived in a house that had a Creek right behind it. And the creek, I used to spend a lot of time there. Like I would, I, I would, you know, play games to see like how, how long it would take me to get, you know, from, you know, basically like from where my parents' house was to, you know, the, the farthest uh, down the street that I could just using the creek only. And so I did a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of physical activities. And I did, my mom put me in gymnastics when I was young because uh, she was in gymnastics when she was younger. And so she wanted me to have the, the experience as well. Um, and uh and her mother was a canadian olympian actually so you know i theoretically i come from like a quite a good pedigree of you know of yeah. uh athleticism it just it must skip a generation i don't know maybe my <laughs> kids you know will end or up maybe being, you're more like, athletic than you give yourself credit for well not not as a kid now i definitely think that you know like but it was it's been through hard work it wasn't one of those things apart from badminton where i was just automatically very good yeah. Um, so how, you know, how like, big are, how big are you physically? It's hard to tell we're on zoom. We've never met in person. So I, like, yeah. I, I never <laughs> actually know. It's always an adventure to see like, how, how big is this person actually in real life? Well, I'm, I'm happy to say that I think I have a persona that's larger than my stature because uh, a couple of years ago, I went and, uh, did some calisthenics workshops in Australia. And one of the guys who attended was somebody who's followed me online for some years. And, you know, we, we'd had a lot of contact together and he said, I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> and I was like, well, nope. Uh, but I'm about five, eight okay. and uh, weigh about 180 pounds. So, okay. uh, you're not way fish anymore. No, no. Now I, I would say I've, I've definitely gone, uh, beyond way fish for sure. But, uh, you know, even in gosh, uh, even my early years of, of college, I was, I think 150. 47 pounds, something like that. So I, that was like very, weird. that's, that's what I struggled with weighing in eighth grade. I was, I was, I was trying to stay under 150 pounds in, in eighth grade. So yeah, for, I, it's funny for because, context. No, I, it's funny too, because I, I remember actually when I was in seventh grade, there was a, a kid in my class, a football player who weighed over 200 pounds. 
And even now, it's just like the, the most I've ever weighed was 192. I did a, a mass building program and I was 192 for like maybe an hour or so, you know, and then it's like it started <laughs> to kind of go back down. I was just I tried to cram as many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches into my mouth as I could before I stepped on the scale. And that's how I, I got there. But um, yeah, so I was I still weighed. I remember it was uh, I was probably I was 20 years old and I. Uh, I had a jaw surgery, so I couldn't work out for some time and I lost some weight. I remember getting on the scale and it said 141. So if that gives you an idea of, yeah, just how, and again, I was still five, eight, but I was just you know, tiny. Yeah. yeah. Very gone. Um, and, but yeah, so like when I was in elementary school, I remember I was, I was never really picked last. I was picked like almost last, you know, for team sports, uh, never did anything impressive with the mile run. Um, I, I do remember there were certain things that I was, I was good at, like for whatever reason I could do clapping pushups. And so the gym teacher would periodically ask me to demonstrate, you know, clapping pushups or, you know, what have you, but, uh, and I'm sure they looked atrocious because I'm sure it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to, you know, keep a somewhat narrow ish grip, you know, it was probably super wide, you know, chest nowhere close to the floor. I, I have no clue, but it, the hands were at least close enough together where I could. And they were good enough that the gym teacher was like, Hey, you demonstrate those. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I had, there were some things physically that I was pretty decent at, you know, again, like playing outside, traversing creeks and, you know, uh, outdoorsy things like that. Um, but team sports, I was never any good at, uh, again, I was just kind of like very average in many ways, or in, maybe even below average in, in some ways. And I, there's a, a story that I'd love to tell because again, this really, it wasn't until I discovered the kettlebell that anything started to change. Um, there's a story of a friend of mine and somebody that I'm still good friends with to this day. And we like to reminisce because of just how big the 180 was, but we were, this was probably very beginning years of college. And he and some of our other buddies would meet in our friend Mike's basement and the, you know, Mike was a big dude and he could bench 300 something pounds, you know, uh, Derek, my friend, he could also bench I mean, even now. I think he can bench in the upwards in the three hundreds, you know? Um, and then it was like, you know, I would get on and it was like stripping the plates. Like everybody's huffing and puffing just to get the plates out of the way, you know? And it was like, I, I don't know what I was lifting, but it was not a lot. And Derek jokingly was like, so is it hard for you to like open doors, <laughs> you know, to like poke fun at, at my weakness? and uh and and then he's he laughs now kind of sheepishly he's like you know he's like you know if only i'd known you know what what you would have what become. you would become yeah. yeah but that wasn't the only time that that happened in fact i remember in junior year speaking of the bench press which is still my nemesis um i it's, I it's not important not an important no, i i i did some bench i did like a lot of benching in 2020 2021 kind of toward the beginning of that year and and you know i ended up hurting both of my shoulders doing it. I was like, it's just not worth it. You know, I just, I, I can't, I can't see the purpose. Um, and also I suck at it. So it's the fact that I suck. That makes, man, it, that I makes it easier to hate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was far easier to hate it, but, um, but I was really good at it and I have two now two surgically reconstructed shoulders. So you what, know. No, was it because of the bench press? No, <laughs> it was because of playing football. Uh, it was, oh. that, you know, that was, that was the first, that was the first one playing football was the first one. And then uh, the second one was just because of a, an un, unprotected fall. You, you, when you're unconscious, you can't, you can't, uh, you, oh. you can't, you can't stop yourself from, from, you can't protect oh. your joints at all. So <laughs> now did you get like sacked really hard on the field or whatever? No, or no, no. This was, this was, at, so I just, I had shoulder surgery uh, just uh, a few months ago, but it was uh, back in December of last year. I just, I spiked a really bad fever and got and was sick and was just got up to go back to my bedroom and, and passed out. And I just, I just fainted. I just, I got up too fast. I, you're not fully with it, you know, right. It was one of those, I was like, had a fever, had been sick and dehydrated and just got, I just wanted to get back to my bed and you know got up too fast started walking to the bedroom and you know lights out and yeah i landed unsupported on my shoulder cracked a rib God. it was yeah it was ugly so isn't <laughs> it crazy shoulder surgery for to fix that but uh but you're good to go now yeah i'm i'm almost good to go i'm like I'm so close. I'm, close. I'm like, I'm like 14 weeks removed from surgery now. And, uh, I, oh, so that I, is fresh. I just got, I just got the, I got the okay to start lifting. Um, so I'm going to start, I'm going to start uh, picking up the bells again, uh, in a week. So Fantastic. Pretty, 
pretty excited about that but yeah isn't it crazy though that how like you fall like as a kid or a youngster and you're like nah, no big deal and then like as an adult you like just shatter like i remember uh gosh it was probably like it was the summer going into my senior year in high school i took up skating for some reason like i just always had lots of t- like free time during the day you know i didn't have a job um and uh you know i would hang out with friends and stuff like that but i started skating and i remember one point i was skating down this hill and I hit, you know, like the sidewalk. Has, roller skates, skateboarding, like skateboarding, I, I, skateboarding. skateboarding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I should have been, uh, should have been more specific. I just wanted to understand. My my brain went to rollerblades for some reason, but that's just no, it's I'm fair. Projecting my own adolescence. No, that's that's perfectly fair. When I hear skating, that's the first thing I I think of too. Um, but you know, it was very popular, at least among the youths in Nebraska when I was, <laughs> when I was not, but me, your Jinko jeans and your skin. Your oh God. Yeah, dude, the Jinko <laughs> jeans. Well, the, I, the ironic thing is I wore Jinko jeans when I didn't skate. And then when I started skating, I was already like Jinko was like passe and I just didn't, <laughs> didn't want to wear it. But uh, I remember going down this hill and there was, you know, they've got those blocks that make up the sidewalk. Right. And they're like, and there's a crack in, in between yeah. all of them. And I wasn't going fast enough. And like, it hit this crack and I like got launched over and landed on my shoulder. And the only thing that happened is I got like, I scraped up like the, you know, the shoulder, I got like a scab, but like shoulder didn't hurt. It didn't have any damage. But if that were to happen now, I don't know. I don't know what my fate would be. You yeah, know, you just, you just got up and you're like, ah, shit, that sucked. And then you walk back up to the top of the hill and we're like, I'm, that was I'm 100%. Okay. It. Yeah. It was, it was nuts. Uh, yeah. Like kids, if you're listening, Enjoy your youth while you can, because when you get older, you definitely have to be a little bit. But you can still do crazy stuff. You just can't get a. You can't do as many of them. Just takes takes longer to recover from them. Really, is is what happens. Yes. So yes, exactly. exactly. So so let's 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 talk about the you know Saved by the Bell. Um, you know what? So so what? So how did you discover the kettlebell? When did that happen? And you know that's obviously become a big part of your life. It's a big part of my life. That's why we're talking. So um, you tell tell me about that. How did that? How did that happen? Well, it's interesting because it was almost kind of like in a, in like a series of steps, I would say. So for instance, um, I had read, I was, so I was really big into my first foray into, um, uh, physical culture. We might call it was through martial arts. There was a, there still is actually in Omaha, this uh, really great gym owned by a guy named Nick Doyle, who is, as the name would imply, he's straight up Irish. He's like from Ireland. Um, moved to Omaha of all places as a, as a youngster. I think, I think the story is that his like sister was living here. And so he was like, Oh, you know, get out of Ireland. I'll, you know, see what Nebraska is like. Um, and he's got a great gym. He's trained. I can't think of a place that is less like Ireland than Nebraska. Nebraska. That's probably why he was probably like, look, maybe Arizona. Of, I don't know. Like we got a lot of green, you know, a lot of uh, sweaters you know, in Ireland, a lot of, uh, what have you. And I want to go to places just a sea of yellow, like corn. Yeah, or and... shit actually grows other than potatoes. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, so he has a, a great gym. He's trained UFC fighters like, uh, Houston Alexander was a big one. Um, when I was, even when I was going there, Houston was, was training there. Anthony Smith, I think he was, I think he was a heavyweight. Um, I don't know if he ever became a champ or not, but, um, so it was like a really legit gym. And, you know, and Mick is, you know, like two-time world champion kickboxer, you know, like the real deal. So I would go there and practice the heck out of some Muay Thai a couple times a week as like a 19 and 20 year old. And, um, and I was really, of course, into Bruce Lee because who wasn't, you know, Bruce Lee is the man, you know, he's just doesn't get better. And so I wanted to find out as much as I could about how he trained because I was also getting into training a friend of mine who got into Muay Thai at the same time I did he was kind of like the catalyst behind the Trevor he was getting into bodybuilding and so he was looking great I mean he you know he'd kind of grown up being a little bit paunchy and he started lifting and you know it was just you know he looked like a colossus of a dude and so he showed me some stuff to do like you know here's you know it was like the, the bro stuff you know here's like six different exercises for your chest and 12 for your arms and you know whatever um here's and- your here's your split <laughs> exactly we do do chest on monday we do triceps on tuesday we do biceps on wednesday and and you have very correctly left out legs because we didn't train legs (laughs) i mean trevor might have actually i didn't because my rationale again it was very it was like i'm doing i'm kicking plenty in muay thai so what do i really need to work my legs for like to me it was like 
okay, well, if you're if you're using the limb, you don't really need to, you know, do it. You don't need to train it then. Never mind. Yeah, never mind that. that Why would being logic... stronger with the limb you use be beneficial? Right. Well, never mind. The logic doesn't even hold up because it's like, well, I'm doing all these curls and all these tricep things, you know. So I'm also doing plenty of punching. So why don't I just? The real reason is I just didn't want to train legs. Because yeah, uh, was... because you walk like a you walk like a rodeo cowboy the day. After. Yeah, exactly. Got, like the rickets and everything. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, I bought a book on uh, ostensibly on Bruce Lee's approach to training called the art of expressing the human body. And it had, it was just a dizzying amount of information about, you know, the, some of the routines that Bruce did. And, you know, it was mostly like bodybuilding stuff, but he also did stuff with, uh, he had like a circuit trainer machine, um, which is called like a Marcy circuit trainer. And, you know, back then it was, it was kind of like a big deal. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing this stuff. But in one chapter, there was this oblique reference, no pictures, but there was a, an oblique reference to this thing called a kettlebell. And I was like, this seems really intriguing. Like, I wonder if there's some way that I can get one of these things. But the way that they described it, you would maybe recognize this because Milo, the strength company, used to sell one of these, like a suitcase handle that you put on the dumbbell so that you could turn a dumbbell into a kettlebell. So I think that's kind of what they were referring to in there because uh if i remember the passage correctly it was something along those lines and i was intrigued i couldn't even really picture it but i was like this this no longer extant piece of equipment sounds like there's something to it and like it, it's you know like it's the real deal and then the inception come, the inception seed was planted deep in exactly your <laughs> Exactly. It was like, it, there might as well have been Leonardo DiCaprio, like, you know, in my dreams, you know, like in my head, just trying to put this idea in there. And um, I was taking uh, university Spanish classes, which is not as impressive as it sounds, because it's basically the Spanish that you would have taken if you had done it in high school, but for people in college. But you paid for it. Yeah, I paid for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, where, yeah, exactly. Instead of letting my parents tax dollars pay for it, uh, <laughs> which would have been probably uh, as useful, but, uh, but before class, so I would always get there like 15 minutes early. And there was a guy that I had gone to middle and high school with and some, and I really didn't get along with him in middle and high school. He was like very, uh, brash and he was very, you know, like didn't care what other people thought. And I was very, you know, kind of like, I don't, I wouldn't say introverted, but I, I, I kind of kept to myself a little bit, but, uh, not have yeah, we, in high school. <laughs> Well, you know what? The thing is, it's like that in and of itself. I think the other reason I didn't like him is because he need me in the balls once. <laughs> and I think they just kind of put it do it. <laughs> I think I actually, honestly, I, I don't remember a hundred percent, but I'm, I'm like 80. How many times have you been needed in the balls or by how many different? <laughs> not, not that many, but I was like, there was a specific reason. Enough why that I, I don't like, remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, it hasn't happened in a very long time, but I, there was like the concentration of times when it was happening was definitely like, you know, <laughs> teens and, and beforehand. So, um, it just yeah. the dovetail with when I was coming of age. Let's, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the time when like everyone's kicking each other in the balls. You know, like if you do it now, it's like you'd better, there's going to be a funeral some, you know, at some point, like, because that's just, you, you can't do it anymore. But um, when you're a, a rough and rowdy kid, it, you can get away with it. But, we, we started chatting in uh, before our, our Spanish classes. And he was always just, he was just really interested in strength training. And he was talking about this badass dude named Pavel and this crazy thing called kettlebells. And I was like, I've heard of these. And um, I was like, I wanna know more. And I think, I think this is to, again, to, to date me a little bit. I think he brought like a printout of like what Pavel looked like. It was like a kettle. It was like the cover of Enter the Kettlebell. Yeah. And I saw this kettlebell. I was like, that is nothing like what I had anticipated. It was just this <laughs> big, ugly iron ball with like a handle on it. And I was like, huh, that's, that's very interesting. And Drew was really way ahead of the times because back then I still thought, you know, don't squat below parallel if you squat at all, you know, because that's what we were told. And he's like, that's bogus. Of course you squat below parallel. And I was like, never even heard anybody say that. It was just like, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't even know it was a position one could hold. I didn't think there was any debate. It was just, I was, I was always coached to get to 90 and no deeper, get to 90 and go like that was, it, that was it. That, that's what I was told. I remember I, I had hurt my knee in Muay Thai and I went and I got some help from like a gal who uh, worked 
at the university gym and she showed me like a bunch of different exercises and she's like, you know, here's how to squat and here's how to do this. Like, Just don't go below 90 degrees when you squat or something. I like, go to about parallel and that's it. So I, it had never occurred because I'd never really squatted before, you know, but it never occurred to me that, you know, there were people who were advocating going below parallel. So grass was, was not a thing. <laughs> no. And I, you know, the thing was, is I was like, wow, there's so many things that I just don't know. You know, it's like, I realized I wasn't an expert, but I was like, man, they're like, I didn't even know that was a, a position one could hold. And I don't, this is okay. So then this went on for some time, you know, and he brought in Enter the Kettlebell book and he, he brought in uh, the Naked Warrior and it was, you know, there's a picture of Pavel pistol squatting, you know, he is clothed all, all the way to the ground. Picture, just so. <laughs> What's that? He is clothed, semi-clothed. Yes, in that yes. picture, at least. It, it's it's just a clever nickname, folks. Don't worry. There's no there's no nudity in this book. I can assure you of that. Um, and any that you do see is totally tasteful. That's, you know, <laughs> it's very tasteful. That you can be sure of. And I remember it was probably late March or early April, of 2008. And he called uh, Drew, a friend who uh, possibly need me in the balls at some point in high school. Um, called me up, and he said, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I was like, just, you know, hanging out. And he's like, do you want to come over and try a kettlebell workout? And, you know, previously I didn't really have any interest in it, but for whatever reason, I said, sure, you know, I'll, uh, I'll swing by. So went over there and he showed me his kettlebell collection and I was like, okay, you know, I, I didn't really know what to think. I, I, I remember the first thing I tried to do was curl the kettlebell. And uh, he's like, no, no, you don't do that with a kettlebell. And, you know, because I, all you know is what you know. So I mean, you can, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. No, I, I've done curls with kettlebells. Yeah. I think it's a perfectly fine thing to do. But, you know, he goes, let me, I was like, so what do you do with him? He's like, let me show you. And he starts snatching. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And he's showing me all these other things. You know, he's showing me how to swing. And I promise you, my technique was God awful. Oh, you know, um, you don't have to convince me. I believe <laughs> I, I was yeah. once too. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I wish I had video of it because I am sure that it was just bad. <laughs> you do there. That's the sadistic part of you that wishes there was video of that. Yeah. I'm serious, man. Because like, I, I would just love to see how far I've come. Like, again, I, I have that, that, that masochistic, you know, uh, <laughs> like will to actually see how bad I was. But I remember, you know, we were on his, on his, um, on his driveway, it was you know nice spring day, swinging this kettlebell around, and I was like, man, this is what training is supposed to be. You know, this makes sense. It's like I'm using my whole body. Um, it feels like it's just kind of like a natural thing. I didn't even know how to describe it. It just felt right, you know. And and he was like true friend. He loaned me a 25 pound kettlebell and a copy of Enter the Kettlebell and The Naked Warrior which I still have. I actually bought him new copies of it because I had gone through them so much and put some wear and tear on them that I was like, I'm just going to buy you brand new ones. Um, and then I did give him his 25 pound kettlebell back. But, um, but after that, it was just like, I was off to the races, you know, he, I was doing, you know, get swings and get ups, you know, and I would do some presses here and there. And, you know, eventually, you know, it's like my, my knees didn't feel great. My back didn't feel great. My shoulders kind of bugged me. So I was like, I should probably see an instructor. Um, <laughs> and this was like in the early days when it was like, you know, now there's kettlebell instructors all over the place, but yeah, yeah. Um, as luck would have it. When, when God, was it chronologically, when, when was this? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll date ourselves a little bit, but it helps, it helps people contextualize. Like when you say there weren't kettlebell instructors, like when was this that you were first getting into it? 2008. So this is about 14 years ago. Same. Yeah. Same time. So, yeah. So you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, not only were there not kettlebell instructors, there were no kettlebells. It's like, yeah, now just, you go to Walmart. Yeah, I was, I was, I was for, like, I was fortunate that like when I discovered kettlebells, I happened to be in the twin cities, which is where, which is where Dragon Door is like literally Dragon Door's headquarters is a mile from my house. Like I could yeah. walk, I could walk to the, to their, to their headquarters and you know, they're in St. They're in St. Paul. It's actually a little Canada now, but you know, it's <laughs> like, so I just happened to be close to where kettlebells actually were uh, in America, but like that was not the experience for, for most people when they discovered kettlebells. Yeah. Especially if you're living in like Nebraska, where I can assure you, <laughs> Uh, a lot of the trends don't reach us immediately. 
So, um, yeah, I you know they have, I, they have the internet on computers now. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to just go to the library anymore. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can have it in your home. It was, it was a mind blowing thing. Um, well, as luck would have it, there had been, this was probably, no, this was definitely, um, late July or maybe early August, 2008. Um, and I remember this specifically because this ended up being a very, uh, momentous occasion. Um, there's a guy named Scott Stevens who wrote a, uh, something in what's called the public pulse where it's like, this was basically like before people went on Facebook and spouted out, you know, their opinions, you could write to the newspaper. And avoid. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the newspaper would post it, but they had, uh, a couple of weeks prior, I think the newspaper had posted something or put something, uh, published. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, about um, kettlebells and how, oh, you know, maybe they'll help it make it easier for you to carry your groceries in, but you know, it's kind of a fad or whatever. So Scott wrote in and he was like um, explaining why the article was wrong and what the facts were. And then he signed it, Scott Stevens, RKC. And I was like, holy moly, there's an RKC in Omaha. I have to look this guy up. So I looked him up, he had a website, reached out and I said, hey, I want to do a lesson with you because I'm really into kettlebell training. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, you know, my shoulders are bugging me, you know, like my, my low back doesn't always feel great. Knees are kind of bugging me a little bit. And, um, which in his head, he's like, you're doing this all wrong. Yeah. He's like, you definitely need me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, sure. Come on in and we'll, you know, we'll do a, an appointment. So it was about an hour and a half. And, uh, I remember seeing him do a swing. I was, I'd never seen anybody swing like that. I mean, it was just like, and he, he's also like a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, so, I mean, he understands like how to go like from, you know, loose, super fast to like, wham, you know, like relax to snap. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so he showed me, like I showed him my press and I was like way out here. He's like, okay, you're basically giving yourself like a standing Kimura. So we're going to need to fix this. And so, you know, bring your hand in a little bit like that. And okay, with your swings, do this, that. And so, and then he showed me some other movements. And, and, um, and after that, I was hooked. It was like basically every six to eight weeks, I'd set up another appointment with him. And uh, to this day, we're, we're still good friends. We keep in touch and uh, um, talk shop about kettlebells, but also, you know, a variety of other topics as well. But Thank you for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. We'll be back with a new episode soon. Please be sure to leave a rating and review of the Platform Podcast in your app of choice. Support our work by supporting our affiliates. And of course, if you have questions or you want help reaching your goals, reach out to me. Until next time, thanks for listening.